Welcome, welcome, good fighters. This is the Good Fighters Podcast. We have a very special guest today, Jorge, Jorge Roman, uh, our special guest who has quite the accolades for somebody that's so young, going through school as a neuroscience major. He is the author of one of the, some, a topic that we're going to talk about today, his book, Return to Human, which is absolutely phenomenal. Jorge, I'm super excited to get into that. But he's also a certified health coach, and he has his own podcast as well, the Live Damn Well podcast. Um, Jorge, we're, I'm super excited to have you on. And I know we've been talking about this for probably forever. Um, but I'm excited to have you on today with Dr. Nash, as always the art dealer and I, myself, Dr. Gates, the art thief. So, um, Jorge, um, this podcast is, you know, we're, we're focused around bringing health to a healthy community to everybody that we are, whoever ears we're reaching. Right. Um, and uh, you have a phenomenal book that I want to talk about, but then also just phenomenal experience in what you've been through so far. And I think you have a very uh, big why, which correct me if I'm wrong, but that is partially what spurs you to put out such great information, at least excellent information that I've read so far and that we've talked about previously. Um, so can you, we, we start things off a little bit differently here. We don't necessarily want to know where you came from per se, but we want to know what you want to become or what do you want um, to kind of be said about you should you pass away or anything like that? Yeah, well, first of all, I really appreciate having you guys, uh, you guys have me on the podcast. Um, uh, this is a book that I put a lot of thought into, a lot of research into, um, especially now it's been over a year now with, with COVID and everything and more data has come out and it's just constantly been evolving and evolving and evolving. So I'm getting ready to launch that second edition. So really appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Um, but to answer your question, I... I really started out, I guess this is giving you a little bit of backstory, but I started out as a 12 page document. Um, and it was really at a time when most people were telling us, you really can't do much to prevent a severe case of COVID-19. Right. Um, you, you just got to stay in your house. You got to obsessively wash your hands. You got to mask up. You got to stay away from people. <laughs> and like, it's okay, right? Those are preventative health measures, but they're not everything. They were so mm. disempowering for so many people at a time when you didn't have friends and family and we were just, and actually most people's health got worse over the pandemic. Yeah, a lot of yeah, people gained weight. So, so it started off as that little 12 page document and I was about to put it as a freebie on my website. And I was like, look, this is what you can actually do because it makes no sense to tell people you are helpless. And mm. that's kind of what hit me. And that's part of what my why was because even before the pandemic, I was going through what I now recognize as, uh, as a, as depression. And it, it came really close for me to make the decision of ending my life. And at that point, mm. I had never experienced something like that. Um, and it, it was for a lot of different reasons, but definitely the icing on the cake was you can't see anyone. You can't see your friends. Uh, you can't do anything. You have to stay home. Right. And that to me was just like, that just threw me, you know, for a loop that just absolutely yeah. made it worse. Um, and so what I see myself becoming now, once I made the decision, I'm not going to end my life, that would be, that would, that would hurt the people around me. And it, it's funny because at that point, like, that's really obvious for me to say that now it's like mind numbingly obvious. But at that point in my headspace, it was like, I just wanted to end my suffering. I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't think I had any purpose. Um, but once I made the decision, I wasn't going to do that. I decided, okay. I'm going to live as 
well as I possibly can. And, and there, therein lies my podcast name. Um, but that's what I decided. And it was a one-time decision where I was like, fuck that. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but I yeah, did. That's okay. um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm not going to just keep on, you know, pitying myself. I'm, I'm not going to keep doing this anymore. I'm going to let go of uh, all the social anxiety, all the depression, all of the shit that I carried with me yeah. for a while, for as long as I could remember. And I'm going to go out and I'm just going to live my best life. I'm going to help as many people as possible, feel as empowered as they possibly can. And that's what I see myself evolving into um, in the next few years until I, until I die. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That, and I didn't even know half of that backstory. That was, first off, I'm really happy you're here really happy you're sharing your wealth of wisdom with us and just who you are as a person, um, especially when it comes to the the efforts that you're putting in to bring health and wellness to everybody. And, and that that's evident in what you have, at least as far as the book and your podcast and everything else that you're doing. And how old are you again? Can we tell? I just turned too? 21. Yeah, just turned 21. And yeah. you already have just, I mean, you're doing a lot, man. And it's, it's a lot of great stuff. Um, and I think it's it's crucial, and Nash and I have talked about this on here before, to lift up that mindset that you had. You started off with that mindset, and that mindset is huge. Um, and for a lot of people, that's hard to get to, but it can make such a world of difference just to be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm tired of being the place I was. I'm going to become who I need to be, not just for yourself, but for other people. Um, exactly. And so that's been really cool. and. Um, I'm excited for the second version of the book. Guys, you don't know what you're in store for with this book coming out. I literally, like if anybody- It's fire. Yeah. I only got to read two chapters and yeah, dude, I'm I'm hooked. It's good stuff. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. I hope you don't mind me. uh, Oh, go ahead. I've got a few things. No, no. I mean, I just, uh, I've got a few things that I like- can't wait to get into that I like, I really liked out of it. So um, keep going though, Gates. I've got a few things though. I was just going to say, I, I I really think it's just, and I said this the very first time I read it, and I just every time I read it, I reiterate this in my own brain is, if anybody was else to ask me, how do I be healthy, become healthy, I would just be like, just read this book, it'll pretty much outline everything you need in like one simple way of putting it, especially when there, and what I love most about probably what you hit on in the book is this this dogmatic approach to there's only one way to be healthy or there's only one way within our current system, which is failing. And that dogmatic approach is literally killing people. And it's, it's infuriating for Nash and I, especially because we, I mean, we kind of operate outside of that dogmatic approach um, in terms of chiropractic. We're not nearly necessarily mainstream in that, but I wanted to read a quote just to kind of start off here because it says, this is in the beginning when you're talking about the Hadza group. Yes. Um, now, the question remains, how have we gone from a near perfect metabolic cardiovascular and immune health making eight plus hour hunts in Africa just another day at the office to multiple chronic health conditions, making eight plus hours of sitting, fast food eating and social media scrolling exhausting? And more importantly, how can we how can we modern humans get the best of both worlds by simulating our evolutionary past in our modern environment. Um, just such a great foundation for the book that talks about, again, how do we go from being, you know, in my mind, the, the previous portion of us, our ancestors are the, really the superhumans. We're 
dwindling into this um, kind of abyss of being lost in ourselves and what we think is right in terms of our health. But um, can you just hit on that too? Like what, obviously you, you touched on your background there, but when you were writing this book, what were you, what do you really want to convey to people and what you share um, in the topics that you discuss? Yeah. So I guess the first thing is I, I wanted to, well, at the beginning, um, I, I thought that I was going to find all the answers and let's just go back to the way we used to live. And in itself, I guess, without me realizing it, that was kind of dogmatic for me to even think that way. That's like, Mm -hmm. no, every, all the answers are just found. Let's just relinquish everything. Let's, uh, you know, start living the jungle and, um, you know, go hunt and gather and be like the (laughs) hunter, right? And then I was like, no, that's actually very limiting. Um, And that's, that's some of what I see in like the ancestral health community. That's just like Mm -hmm. modern medicine sucks. Like this is how we should live. And I, I wanted to really walk the walk and, and, and really embody this non-dogmatic approach as much as I can. I'm human and I'm obviously going to have some bias, but minimize that as much as possible and really see, okay, how can we build a framework for life that is, uh, takes the best from modern science and takes the best from, um, from our ancestral past, from our evolutionary history. And Mm -hmm. I I think a big part of that is, um, well, well, one of the first most important things I learned when I first started digging into the research was um, there's so many misconceptions about about how people lived in the past, because obviously we don't have video footage. We don't have very right. much uh, accurate Just the cave writing. drawings. Just the cave drawings, right? <laughs> and the cave drawings is actually a really good point because a lot of those cave drawings show us hunting meat. And that was like huge prized yeah. possession, right? And now yeah. meat is being demonized and now you got the impossible. Only 14 burger. grams. Yeah. Oh my God. That is so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so we've gone from, from, I guess there's even now like being, and this is, I'm not too sure about the research about this. I've just, I've just kind of skimmed over it, but there seems to be like a specific type of hunger for meat that's mm. uh, characterized in, in people like the Hadza. So it's not just like a, like a hunger. It's like, we have this innate drive for meat. Um, yeah. and actually that was a huge part of our evolutionary history to grow the brains, to, um, get enough nutrients and calories. Um, but that's kind of a side note. But what I what I really wanted to do is, yeah, just mix the best of how are we living in the past? What does some of the anthropological records show us? Um, and then for things like antibiotic infection or, or infections, right? Like antibiotics can be can be life saving. Surgeries can be life saving, mm-hmm. um, but not in the way that they've been abused. Um, right. And there's been in, in the allopathic model, there's not a lot of talk about prevention. And that's something that just, the more I started looking into that, I was like, why, why is there no talk about that? And it's not because doctors are, are stupid or they they're dumb. It's because they're not taught it and they're taught Mm -hmm. to focus on drugs. They're taught to focus on managing symptoms and they're not taught, um, get enough sunlight, get enough sleep, eat well, get your micronutrients, um, checked, um, so many things. And each chapter that I have in the book is specifically designed for each one of those things. And I'm not saying that if you follow everything in the book, you're not going to get a severe case of COVID. That's not the point. That would be incredibly arrogant of me to say that. Um, But I do think, why not? Why not go after it? 
Why not do everything that you possibly can to make yourself as resilient as possible? Because like you yep. said, it's not only going to benefit you, it's going to benefit your entire family. If you're healthy, you're not going to be a burden on your family. If you're healthy, you're going to be able to support them better. If you're healthy, you're just going to feel better and you're going to do better. Uh, you're going to be a better person for everyone around you. So why not go and do that? Who cares if, yeah. um, you know, you know, not who cares, but what is what's what's better like just staying at home and thinking you can't do anything or improving mm -hmm. your life radically and you could have done that if, the, if at the start of the pandemic the messaging was go exercise uh, get in the sun get enough sleep imagine how many lives could have been changed and saved yep yeah that's so true man and there's so much emphasis on there that like you said earlier there's nothing you can do just sit and wait it out which i talked about this on my instagram story the other day but I'm tired of thinking people thinking defense is the only way to go about this. And the way that we really win this battle, win, win this war is on the offense and things outlined in your book help us to play out offense. But like you said, they were not even mentioned in the beginning. Um, in fact, it was like everything, but that, <laughs> the complete opposite, yeah. which yeah. in the grand scheme of things kind of defines the allopathic model today is, is you're not taught any of these things that will help put you in a state of, um, you know, offense, but instead just kind of wait it out until you, you have to get a, another medication or another surgery, which is infuriating. Right. And actually something that was really, um, that really stood out to me during this whole pandemic was the fact that healthy is considered to have no disease, right? Healthy yeah. is the absence of disease. And actually, that's where I, I totally disagree with that. And I actually really like the World Health Organization's definition of health, because it says explicitly, no, health is not the absence, not just the absence of disease, it is total emotional, physical and mental well being. And I mm -hmm. think that's exactly right. It lives on a spectrum. Um, and to say that just because you don't have COVID or because you don't have something, it doesn't mean you're healthy. And we saw that a lot in the news reporting. We saw, oh my God, this one ripped person with a six pack got COVID and he got hit hard and he got hospitalized. That means you could too. And it's like, was this person truly healthy? Did they just have muscles? There was one actually where the guy was taking steroids and his diet was, was terrible and he looked good, but he wasn't healthy. Uh, right? right. And, and you have that extreme side, which I lived for 10 years as an athlete, which is right. once you get to a high level of fitness, that's not healthy at all. You get gut issues, you get digestive issues, brain fog, you can't sleep. You're totally uh, depleting your, your adrenals. It's just mm. a constant state of fight or flight. And I think it was just a lot of sensationalization from, from the media and uh, just very disempowering to people. Yeah. Totally. That absolutely isn't true. Um, you know, kind of, no. no, building off that, you know, when you, you know, when we consider, you know, some of these factors and like, like you outlined your book, like spiritual or, you know, mental, emotional and physical well-being, you know, that, that is a standard definition of health. And I think to some extent um, it honors like our, our natural, upbringing as human beings right returning to human that's all what uh it meant to be to be human is having those factors and there's an organizational organizational balance to towards nature and and life and when you're out of alignment with that how is it honoring to go sit in a led lit office for eight hours a day and not move other than to get up to get a drink or to go to the bathroom and to stare at a, a screen which 
I'm doing right now, but uh, I know damn well I'm about to go on a walk as soon as I'm done and get outside nature and breathe some fresh air. And to do that repetitively all day, you know, uh, mm. day in and day out and be told that, oh, as long as you don't have a symptom, you're perfectly healthy, right? And that can be right. anything but further from the truth. And, you know, to be passive in your own life, like that is something that I think is um, being instilled when so many, you know, in a, in, as a society, when everybody's being told that, you know, you don't have to take uh, you know, health into your own hands. It's, 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 you know, just rely on the healthcare system. They'll care for you. And it's um, those surgeries, and those pills. Yes. They have a time and place to um, save lives. Yes. I'm not saying that they don't, but to use it as an all encompassing, like uh, end all be all of how we can um, build health and generate health in a, in a society of 300 million people. Dude, there's absolutely no way. And that's, Absolutely. I mean, the evidence, the writing's been on the wall for years and it's finally come to a point where, Hey, um, you know, in my opinion, it's looked like a few, uh, people in the room are like, you know, we can make a few billion off of this. And so far the vaccine companies this year have made $50 billion off of us, off of, off of the pandemic. Right. And, um, you know, say what you want about the numbers, but the fact of the matter remains that making $50 billion off of, uh, sick people and have done nothing but to have done nothing to promote any sort of uh, health habits or wellness. Um, I haven't seen a single lick of information that's actually been, Hey, this is how you can actually kind of, you know, be more resilient as a human being. And this is how you can actually start to promote well health and wellness in your lifestyle. I haven't seen a single piece of information other than get your shot, do your part, wear a mask. And all of that is the same narrative of being passive in your own health. And Mm. Um, all it's doing is putting more money in somebody else's pocket and uh, reinforcing this current narrative that it's something, if it's not COVID, it'll be the Delta, the Lambda, uh, it won't be COVID. It'll be a different virus in the future. And like, you know, we've lived with viruses and bacteria since the dawn of time. And it's a symbiotic relationship that we all, we all need each other. And, yeah. you know that that balance and and returning to human man i i couldn't imagine a more perfect title for a book oh it was money it was absolutely thank money. you guys <laughs> yeah no i i agree with you i mean <clears throat> i think it's it's super short-sighted to say that everything you can do anything you can do the only thing you can do is just wear a mask sanitize everything um and there's there's actually this i i didn't know this but when people were saying um like mostly it was not to demonize like Democrats and to, you know, um, make, make whatever Republicans said and independents said like better. But, but the fact remains that there was a survey done of, I think it was 5 million Americans recently that showed that about 40% of Democrats thought that the hospitalization rate was 50%, which is absolutely not true. The hospitalization mm-hmm. rate is, I believe, anywhere between like one and five percent or even less than that um the true the true hospitalization rate so right. again that's not to bash democrats but it's to say that there is much more than just there's there's that's not science that's that's the science and anyone can say this is what science shows but when they say that it's just like it's just like a line that people say it's not backed up by anything um, and both sides are guilty of it. All sides are guilty of it. I'm probably guilty of it too, but it's important to look past that and not just take someone's word for it and say, this is what the research shows, or this is what the science shows, because science is, is more often than not, there's, there's a facade of scientific certainty that I think went 
on this past year and a half. And it, it, it really, it really got me thinking because science is not that at all. When I really started to think about what is science, like what really is it? It is the opposite of dogmatic. It is the opposite of settled science. Science is more often than not, not settled. Most of the true experts, which is another, you know, line that was around, like, listen to <laughs> right. the expert. Right. It's like, which experts are you talking about? Because they're experts on all sides of an issue, whether it be vaccines, whether it be antibiotics, whether it be antidepressants, experts have differing views. And that's a good thing. We were made to think that if you had any sort of concern, whether it was rational or not about the vaccines, you were instantly labeled an anti-vaxxer. And that's such a ridiculous baby talk. Um, and it, it's like, it, it's crazy to me that the people who are so educated can say something like that. Um, because not only is it off-putting, it's not helpful whatsoever in getting to the truth. Um, so yeah, there, there are like a few doctors that I follow on Instagram. I follow a lot of different people um, who, who are totally like one side of the spectrum, other side of the spectrum. Um, right. And the ones that are very, um, the ones that are, that are very much, willing to say you're an anti-vaxxer if you have like a real rational concern with something. Um, those are the type of people who weren't listening to all of the science. In fact, I, I've been in contact with uh, a few of the editors from major journals, such as the British Medical Journal, the New England Journal of Medicine, and I've reached out to them via email. And some of their blogs that I have actually actually send that to you, um, and you can put it in the description because it's a, incredible articles. Um, there's one yeah. by Peter, Peter Doshi. And he's an editor of the British Medical Journal. And he has written for about a year his concerns with the vaccine. And he is still not convinced uh, that at mm. least people around my age and younger um, would benefit from that. Uh, and now that's not something that you see in the media, right? You're seeing a totally yeah. one-sided debate of you're either pro-vax and this vaccine is, is the saving grace for everyone, or you're an anti-vaxxer and you're not a human because you don't care about people and you suck and blah, 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 right? It's not that way at all. We've totally gotten rid of nuance. We've, we've become yeah. black and white and it's never that way in science. It should never be that way. Science is not dogma. Science is ever-changing, constantly evolving. It is a work in progress always. And yeah. To, to just jump on the bandwagon of everyone should get vaccinated now. And I'm, that's not to say, um, I hope people don't take it out of context. That's not to say that all vaccines are that way. I don't know that. Um, you guys might have a different opinion. I, I do not know that. But, but I think it's at least important to review science on a case-by-case -case basis, not just say, okay, vaccines were amazing in the past, and that may be true for some of them, maybe not for some, for others, I don't know. Um, but not to just put the cart before the horse and say, everyone should get this now. There's, there's overwhelming evidence and safety. And it's like, really, where is it? It's been a year. Like, where is the data? Where's the mid to long-term safety data? It doesn't exist. Right. There's no way that you can say, to say that there, there is not going to be any long-term effects is anti-scientific by definition. You can't say Literally. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the How biggest you things. That's one of the biggest things, just the divisiveness that you were talking about is, is just that, that is one of my, the biggest frustrations I have is people that you met have normally had a, a, a basic conversation with about any other time, about any other health thing. It's now just way, like you said, black and white, way more um, just extreme emotion 
behind it just because of, I mean, fear definitely has a part to, to play in it, but there's the, the infighting of people thinking that someone else is causing this or someone else is making people um, die, even though the science, like you said, is, is not definitive on that. So like, go ahead, Jorge. My bad. Um, To to your point, um, people who are, you know, like asymptomatic or the people who are truly healthy are the people who do not have as much viral shedding. And they are likely not major drivers of the pandemic like once thought. So the people who are truly taking care of their health are not getting as sick. They're not going and spreading it to a bunch of people as much as people who are obese or metabolically unhealthy. And so to really to to demonize people who don't want to get this uh, this this drug is just um, is just so divisive and so out of touch with with reality. Absolutely. And I think you know, we've already kind of alluded to it to an extent, but, you know, there's an element of um, intentional, you know, maybe it sounds extreme even saying it, but brainwashing that I think has been going on for uh, a bit of time with, you know, not just the news, but um, social media being so pervasive in the day-to-day life that it's so easy just to like, um, I don't know if anybody's seen the social network, but literally their programs are designed about holding your attention as long as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so easy just to sneak things in there that just grab your attention and like to start polarizing one way or the other. And in doing so, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard recently, but they're starting to, you know, they're shifting from anti-vaxxers to being more towards terrorists. And how extreme is that? Yeah. Right. And now no, not only can you blame your neighbor, but now your neighbor's a terrorist. And now they're really attacking your family. And it's so much easier to control somebody or at least uh you know, point them in a direction when you have them scared or angry, right? And especially when it's not a, you know, you who's reaping the benefits and you're the person who, um, you know, not saying they necessarily, it's hard to say where it exactly came from, right? Some say lab right. leak theory, some say don't, but like, like you said in your book, early on, people are really ostracized for even talking about the lab leak theory. And really, honestly, anymore, I can't think of a, any other option that even seems realistic. And you know, if that's the case, then who's, uh, who are the people that you're behind the lab leak theory? Okay. Well, we got 10 minutes, by the way. Um, who are the people behind it? Okay. Well, who's, uh, providing the product to reap the benefits, the same people. Okay. Kind of not a coincidence in my book, but I really loved what you had in here, uh, Jorge on the difference between absolute risk reduction and relative risk reduction. Right. And I think that's fundamental when um, people are talking about the science of it and man, I haven't seen anything abused more than that right there. And uh, I would really love it if you could give a little more insight on, uh, you know, some of the listeners on, on that right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's actually a book, which I haven't read yet called how to lie with statistics. Right. And what I, I'm not suggesting that this is a lie. Um, I think these two numbers from everything that I know, these two numbers, one, the relative risk reduction and the absolute risk reduction they, they work hand in hand, right? But to just give the one number, which many people have heard, it's 95% effective. Um, it's kind of misleading. And not just kind of misleading, it's pretty misleading. Um, and it's not giving the patient, you can't have informed consent without everything on the table, right? right. All I heard when I went into my doctor's office was, um, when I asked, so um, yeah, like, what are the, what, are, what is your opinion on the COVID vaccine? She's like, oh, they're all wonderful. Um, that's it. End of conversation. Literally, that's it. 
And I, that's I as like, much informed consent as you got on it. That's as much informed consent as I got on, on it. And, and it's totally ridiculous when you have like, even with, with, with prescription drugs or something, um, there should always be, look, these are the drawbacks. These are the pros. These are the cons. Um, this is what we don't know yet. Make your own decision. That's what a good physician should say. And unfortunately I haven't had very many good physicians. Neither have my parents. I know they exist. And I know that, um, with the newer generations, they're more open-minded about lifestyle stuff. So hopefully that'll begin to change. Right. But right now, the veteran physicians are very much stuck in their ways. Um, and so to, to elaborate a little bit on the, on the vaccines, there, there are experts uh, it, who have published research in very prestigious journals like The Lancet, um, like the British Medical Journal, who are genuinely concerned about the long-term impacts of, uh, of the COVID vaccines. And, and actually now they're starting to look into, um, they're, they're asking the, 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 um, the FDA, please do not approve this yet. We do not have enough data. Um, we do not have the pharmacokinetics down yet. We don't have the biodistribution studies done yet. We do not have enough data. Um, and actually just recently, the, an organization which, um, advises the UK's government, they just said, we do not recommend that people 18 years or younger who are healthy get this vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was, that was pretty profound because it's not yeah. like it's like some, some smaller country that um, doesn't have a lot of, let's say like, like presence. This is the UK, right? So I think it's important. It's important just to, my whole thing with this is let's look at all sides of the story. And um, let's never, never have the hubris to shut down any conversation, because once you begin to do that, you're going to miss out on potentially life-saving advice from people. You might silence a few people who are crazy or whatever, but you're also going to silence some people who are on the cutting edge of science, who are just not going to be able to get their message out. And that's, that's devastating. That's uh, not only to the person who's putting the time in to reviewing science, but it's devastating to the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who could benefit from open scientific discussion, especially when we're talking about vaccines now. Yeah, that, that definitely is an eye opener when something like that is, especially in the UK, which arguably is probably more intense than the United States of America in this approach to COVID. Um, and I mean, as we speak, Pfizer, I think, just got approved this morning by the FDA. So um, very interesting tactics taking place. And I think one thing that I like that you you had in your book, as Nash was saying, was the absolute risk, risk, risk reduction. Um, and I had just listened to another podcast with Sean Modell, and I believe it's Dr. Robert Malone, um, yep. who also published that study and is the creator of the mRNA vaccine. I'm, if I yes. am correct. So yep, you're right. that kind of, um, I don't even know what it's not accolades, but people of that caliber, credibility, credibility, putting out that type of information, it, it deserves a second look, it, maybe even 10 looks, yes. you know? And, um, can you walk us through though, too? Cause I think it's very important. One of the things that I commented on your book was just, there's so much balance and truth to what you bring the balance nature of it is, is something that's very striking to me. Can you walk us through how you look, like what lens are you looking through whenever you read a, either a scientific journal or even just information that you see on the daily on social media? Because plenty of people here, social media can 
um, it, it, it adds to that device of nature sometimes whenever you see, oh, this person says you're killing people. This person says you should never get the shot. You know, what kind of lens do you look through in terms of both social media and scientific material as a whole? Yeah. So I, I am very open minded sometimes to the point where I feel like my brain's going to fall out. And <laughs> so that's it's a good trait. But but it's it's very it's very difficult. It's it's really uh, it's really tiring. It's really exhausting. Um, and it's, it's something that I just kind of have done on autopilot. It, you know, some of it probably stems from some amount of like self-consciousness, self-doubt, but, but it's useful. It is useful because when I've been doing this, I constantly in my head, every single piece of information I hear, I was like, is that true? And I look at it from a bunch of different angles as I possibly can. Um, I, I don't just listen to a podcast and say, oh yeah, I heard this on a podcast. It's true. I go and I, I look it up on PubMed and I see if there's enough data. There's actually a really good website that I recommend called um, examine.com, which mm-hmm. is um, an independent re- uh, research site for uh, nutrition, like supplements and stuff like that. And they basically, they don't just look into like one study says it's good. They look into the totality of evidence. And I learned a lot um, when I first started to, to do research because I used to just, before I started the podcast or anything, I used to just think, oh, if one study says it, it's true. Um, because a lot of people used to, to used to say, it, uh, you know, like kind of approach it that way. But then I saw, oh, no, there are these things called reviews and meta-analyses. And, and um, those are really what you should look for. But, um, but again, um, a long-winded answer to your question. Um, <laughs> they, they still, even those meta-analyses, even those randomized control trials, all those things, we still need to look at it kind of with a, with a questioning eye. Um, and we can get into that. I don't know. We don't have that much time left, but, um, that's, yeah, that, that's something that, um, that I didn't really know that there's so much, so many problems with science, right. That it's, it's not just, um, uh, that even the meta-analyses, if it's, if it's a bunch of really crappy studies and you put a meta-analyses together, you're just getting a huge amount of just like crap all thrown together. Um, so that's one of the things that I was starting to see and, and researchers like, uh, from, I believe it's Stanford professor of, um, epidemiology, Dr. John Yanidis, um, has written a lot of really good papers on this. And a recent one he just had estimates hundreds of thousands of what are called zombie trials. And these zombie trials are basically trials where they fabricate data. And this is hundreds of thousands of randomized control trials that were essentially fabricated to have a positive result. And this is just in seven countries that they looked at, just seven countries, hundreds of thousands of zombie trials. So if we extrapolate that out to maybe the U.S., maybe the U.S. is better. Right. But still, they they, there has to be some amount of that because there's so much pressure to produce positive results. It's your career on the line. Um, So there's just yeah, there's a lot of issues with it. Wow, that kind of made my skin crawl just talking about that. That's that's wild. and, and we got to always come back to always asking that why, always asking and seeking for that truth with whatever we see, like you had talked about. And I think that's super important. And even in the case of, you know, well, why should I get the shot or why shouldn't I get the shot? And going deeper than that, not just simply outlining that, but actually come to some form of principle in your life where I think you can always look back to and have that guide you as well. Um, so which is, I know Nash and I, we have our chiropractic principles that kind of are a nice guide, but, um, 
I encourage everybody to continue to ask why with whatever lens you're looking through. All right, guys, we are back after quick intermission with connection, intention, and purpose. As always, again, we're here with Dr. Not Dr. Maybe yet, but <laughs> hey, Roman, I'm so used to saying that. Sorry, man. Uh, but esteemed accolades already at a young 21 years of age. So um, we're talking about your book here, man, and uh, love the conversation so far. And I just want to get into more of two, um, you know, as you, you've been along your journey and, and fast forward a little bit from COVID starting, you got the opportunity to go to Costa Rica. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that and what your experience was like there um, and cultivating health, not only in yourself, um, but with the people that you dealt with there as well. Yeah, it was, it was amazing because um, I never wanted to be just a, just a talking head where I was just saying a bunch of information, nutrition info or posting whatever without doing it in myself, without, without seeing how it worked in my parents or my family members, my friends and going and actually being able to be, do nutrition coaching and see the results in front of my eyes from people, um, you know, working with people and, and, and having them, you know, do some of the recommendations that I had, whether it be lifestyle, uh, sleep, stress, um, meditation, nutrition, um, all of those things just gave me even more confidence that what I was saying really is true. And going off of that, I think that's the way forward. I think the N equals one experiments and obviously being the amount of test subjects. So that being, you know, your own personal experiment is huge. We still, we could study thousands and thousands of people, but we can't study you. Most of the time we aren't in the study that we look at. And, and because of that, there's, you can't make blanket statements for huge people. We saw that with, with dietary fat. And that's why we went mm. 180 and now, Carbs are been demonized, right? right. Um, but I don't think that that's helpful in any way. I don't think the food pyramid was very helpful in any way either. Um, now, some people who, can who get came, away. Who came out with the food pyramid real quick? Right, exactly. Good old FDA. <laughs> oh, my goodness, right? They've never been wrong. They have never trusted trust the experts. Ever been called by them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's so crazy. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that, that just gave me an insight into we need to take this on a case by case basis. And that's tough because yeah. I, again, that challenged the hell out of me because I was like, Oh, it'd be so much easier if we could just apply the one blanket statement to everyone, right. but it's not, it is not that easy. And so I constantly have to be on my feet and learning more and constantly learning. And I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with the fact that I might just never, well, I will never know. <laughs> I will never know the, the truth of the capital T. Um, and, and that's okay, but we can learn a lot of things by, by, by seeing, um, by supplementing science with sense, by supplementing yeah. science with, uh, okay, is this person getting healthier? Let's look at your labs because someone could eat a ton of saturated fat and their cholesterol won't raise that high. There are some people who are hyper responders and some people who are not. Um, and so that's why I think we just need to look at things on a case by case basis. Yeah, definitely. I know there's one thing that Nash and I allude to a lot of when we adjust people is notice what you notice um, and not getting in that mindset of, well, this is this spine is going to be just like the last or this person is going to respond to this adjustment just like the last. There's always that that, um, you know, game of, OK, there's somebody's got their own fingerprints. 
Oh, yeah. I thought you said their own thumb. <laughs> that works <laughs> that too. <laughs> Everybody's got their own. Uh, and to be treated as such. And I think that, again, to shout out back to your book, the, the title Return to Human is just awesome. And we should treat each person as their own specific human um, and recognize that. Because I think that's what the beauty of being um, somebody who Ha- you're you're taking that person in under your care under your under your wing essentially and they trust you and, and treating them with the respect they deserve as who they are as an individual is, is very important and you even touched on that in your book too the individuality individuality factor and how crucial that is when you start looking at a person for who they are a person yeah you know yeah that's why i think even like um just like forcing people to to take things that they don't want to take is just is is scary it's really scary and i've had friends who have had to do that um and it's 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 bullshit it's people should never have to do that against their will um and uh unconstitutional it's absolutely it is anti-american like it is it is And, and that's the sad part is that when when i say something like that a lot of people will take that the wrong way and they'll you know shut off all of the the vitriol that that we already know on social media but um but that being said, I think the best conversations are had one-on-one in, in small groups mm, because yeah. I, I have come across people who seem like they're very fanatical in social media. But when I talk with them one-on-one, we seem to agree on most things. So right. it's, um, yeah, like with, like with you guys, we may not agree on everything, but we can talk about it in a civil way. We can advance concepts. We can challenge ideas. And, and with that, we get to the truth. Right. And, and we respect that each other's opinion. Collaboration. Definitely the respect factor. Yeah. For sure. Respect and collaboration, name of the game. Um, yeah, absolutely. When you were in Costa Rica dealing with people, um, what, what did you kind of, what was the atmosphere that you created with them? Because in today's world, uh, and this can happen from across the board, chiropractors, MDs, DO, it doesn't really matter what your title is there's some component of fear that people um, portray when they try to get people to do their, you know, care plan or be under a certain medication or whatnot. Cause even chiropractors and such, there's been the, you know, uh, degenerative disc disease. People will say you have degenerative disc disease. If you don't take, get under chiropractic care now, you're not going to have a life, you know, and forcing people to make a decision out of fear isn't good. Even in that scenario where could the chiropractic care benefit them for sure. Yep. most likely but you know getting them to make that decision isn't the best choice either you know so how do right. you kind of um create that atmosphere whenever you're being with people yeah so i guess as a as a health coach and not a nutritionist or a doctor i mainly ask questions and i guide people to their own which is actually i really i really really liked it at first i was kind of looking like a few years ago for an ego boost and just say do this do this do that Um, but now I found that it's actually more helpful when you just ask the questions and you make the person think you, you, you give them education, you give them accountability. Um, and that's how I think progress has been made. That's what I've seen in the, in the clients that I've had, it's, um, really holding a space for them to, to develop their own, to, to answer their own questions um, with, with guided questions. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's, that's super important because oftentimes like 
I can't know everything about that person. That no, that person, every person knows themselves better than anyone, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tapping into that is huge, and that's been a game changer. Yeah, I see that with everybody in my office too. I tried to, you know, there's been t- moments when you learn how to deal with people, whether you try to force it or you undermine stuff. But really what I just realized, like you said, just ask those questions and getting them to recognize their own self-awareness is more empowering and more fruitful than anything else. Because the moment they leave your office or door or whatever, they have to be accountable for themselves. You can't hold their hand on everything. So getting that self-awareness and they can make those decisions and ask themselves those difficult questions or maybe even you're inside their head being like, what would Jorge do? (laughs) You know, or Dr. Nash, Dr. Gates. So. No, that's a great insight. And I, I love that. And we could all use a little bit more of that when, you know, whatever practitioner or health coach you are. Yeah, no. And there's also like the self-efficacy piece where it's like, if they find the answers to their own questions, or if I give them credit for them answering their own questions, they feel like, they feel good. They feel like they're yeah. finally making some headway. They feel like yeah. you're getting that dopamine surge where they're just like, they're <laughs> on it and they are going to keep going. It's the, they want more that, and, and that leads to them just being more motivated to keep going. Right. That's for sure. Love it. I uh, I had a question for you, Jorge, and honestly, you, Gates. Um, so I had somebody come into the practice and actually they brought something to my attention that I hadn't really heard of. Um, and it's so it's a nutrition assessment based on some of your genetic background mm-hmm. and basing your genetic background on what food types would be in season for where your genetic background is from. And then tailoring your diet based off of that. Have you heard of anything else like that? I have. Yeah. So I've heard of some uh, like using SNPs, like single nucleotide polymorphisms kind of to, to test for that. Um, using things like ancestry.com. I've never done it myself. I'd like to. Um, but I think from, from what I have heard, I actually interviewed someone who, who does that for a living, who they, they take okay. people's DNA and they say, okay, you might be more sensitive to histamine. You might not make enough of the DAO enzyme. You might, um, you might respond poorly to fermented foods, um, to dairy, to gluten, um, based on your DNA and based on your SNPs. From what I know and from what he said, it's still not very precise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still having to take things on a case-by-case basis. Um, so yeah, I think maybe in the future, we might get to the point where we're like, yeah, this is like very accurate. And it seems like it's working for you, like off the bat. But, um, at the moment, it it seems like, uh, nutrigenomics is still kind of in its infancy. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, my evidence is only anecdotal because I know of one doctor, um, he's in North Carolina that he does that and he just feels like he functions better based on that. Um, which might be the case. I can't remember because I was asking them questions about it too. I don't necessarily do that in my office, but it's fascinating because you get to that part where you, you, I mean, your genetics, but then they also can change and then your environment can impact certain genes. So it's, it's that questionable factor of chicken or the egg or, you know, different things like that. So, um, well, we're humans, man. We go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Well, I was going to say like, it's really, I mean, like the scientific method is great, but it's not perfect because as humans, we're infinitely full of variables and it's literally impossible to isolate a single thing to really truly understand if that's going to be the, the theory or law of how to operate. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that puts us in the situation right today. 
if you think about 50 years ago, things that scientists said then, they still impact us today and kind of put us in the situation we're in sometimes. So, because um, the body keeps the score and it knows what to do when it is under fight or flight, but at the same time, we kind of jack it up, <laughs> you know? So we, we kind of mess it up a lot. But, um, you know, there's this there's this common theme, I think, today when people, they desire to be healthy, um, but they might go about it the wrong way. What would you encourage anybody out there looking to fortify their health uh, and empower themselves? What would be a good starting point that you would suggest for them in terms of there's all this information, misinformation, quacks, you know, realism, whatever out there. What's a good foundation that you would put them out uh, in terms of starting with their health? So the, the reason I started out the book with uh, immune health begins in the mind is because I, I don't just think immune health begins in the mind. I think all health begins in the mind. When I was in that state of, of depression, obviously depression is incredibly multifactorial. It's not just mm-hmm. one thing causes it or it's, yeah, it's many things. But when I was in that state, I was eating organic grass-fed food and I didn't give a shit. I, I still didn't want to live. I, I did nothing matter oh, to wow. me. Um, and so to me, that's why that's the most important thing. You could be, you could be fit. I had like, I don't know, 9% body fat or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't, didn't matter to me. Um, and so I think there is, that is the foundation. Um, and if we're talking about immune health, there's a new emerging field now called uh, neuropsychoimmunology where it's, literally how your nervous system, how your mind affects um, how your immune system can respond. Uh, so that's where I think the most headway is to be made because once I made that decision to never going back to that place and uh, trying to live life in the best way I know how, uh, once I made that decision, everything has started to fall into place. Yeah. My sleep got better. My nutrition got better. My digestion got better. My relationships got better. Um, And I started to find a sort of ease with that because it wasn't like I was forcing myself to eat perfect foods. It was more like, oh, I just want to feel good. I I want to go to sleep early. I just want to feel good. Um, And I want to continue that. So that's where I think a lot of people should start. No, that's awesome. I like that too, because there's not necessarily, I mean, maybe, maybe you know this better than I do, but I would argue that there's probably not a lot of evidence out there that would say you need to do this in order to create a plus b equals c and one of the quotes that you have in your book is absence of evidence is not evidence of absence Uh, but that's a great opportunity for people to look at it and and a great portion of it to say you know what there's not a lot of evidence but what i see around me is people that make that decision they start on a better path and it might be their own path which is okay um but that mindset is huge Uh, dr nash do you have any thoughts on that type of Uh, mentality uh i mean yeah i think a lot of it does come to leading by example to an extent especially when we have the uh the privilege of working with people that are going to seek us for um our thoughts and you know jorge you do a great job at 21 man to already uh lead by question right i think that's i think that's so huge because we can never instill our philosophy or our uh our opinions on somebody else all we can do is lead them to logic and have them ask those same questions so they pull those answers from themselves and i think that's uh, truly how we can make a, a big difference for somebody and, and we can 
repeat that process with multiple people, we can change the outcome of a, of a community. And if we can do that locally um, and our community thrives off of that, then our community will have an impact on uh, the community of our, of our county, right? And then so on and so forth. And I think that's truly how we can make a change from within. And I, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, the the butterfly effect. <laughs> the butterfly yeah. effect is real, I think, man. Like that that's something that is kind of cliche, but that's how I part of how I end the book. It's like, wow, like you actually as individuals, we affect so much more change than we think we do. Mm-hmm. And you, you might not see it. You might not see it in the moment. Like you might say something to someone that's like some sort of like you might say a compliment to someone, or on the other hand, you might say something negative to someone. And they may not react much in the moment, but then you find out later that that person was like either severely depressed or if you've given them a compliment, you might find later that they just like on the verge of doing something like suicide and that pulled them out of it. Something so little can have wide ranging impacts. Now that person isn't, that that life may not be lost anymore. And that means that those family members are not going to have loss and then their extended family is not going to have that loss. It's just like your actions are, are huge, even if they're small things. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, if, if our listeners can take heed of that is really big because we talk about, so our listeners have been named the fight club or, Hey, um, I like kind of get, we kind of get, well, we didn't give them that name who somebody else gave that suggestion one of, to yeah, us. my friends. Yeah. I yeah. Um, and I think if they can heed that type of advice from you in, in terms of, you know, being able to get in a state of mentality where serving others is really big and that is something empowering yeah for sure um and that what that's what makes a good fighter and i would definitely label you as a good fighter as somebody who has been through war of your own personal sense but then also um seeks to help those that are in war themselves um you know i think you definitely embody that which is just awesome especially in, in it's in all that you do i think too so um is there anything else, Dr. Nash, that you'd like to ask Jorge before we kind of close up? Uh, as far as asking, I don't have any uh, anything else because honestly, you kind of covered the questions that I was I was going to ask. But um, I, I think you did a phenomenal job, man. I really do want to say thank you for what you are doing, what you're continuing to do, and I really look forward to everything in your future, brother. Um, really, really great stuff. And thank you, uh, no, thank you for being on here and uh, blessing us with your presence, man. Thank you very much, man. I, I appreciate you guys again, giving me the opportunity to talk about this. For sure. I do have one more question. Have you been adjusted yet? <sighs> man, I have not. Oh, I amazing. know, I know, I know. I, I just <laughs> moved in. I just moved into college. So it's been, yeah, it's, it's been hard. I've been moving around a lot. Just came back right. a few weeks ago. So it's been, yeah, not a lot of time, but I would love to. I would love to. I've only heard good things. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, we'll definitely have to. I mean, you're not. You're probably like what an hour and a half away from me. Yeah. Well, since yeah. you're school, I'm not well, sure. Well, school but... now it's more like five or something like that. Oh but... shoot! Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. We'll have to make it sometime uh, when you go back home yes, or something like absolutely. that. That'd be really cool. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, where it, where can they find your book? Um, or, or to be able to find your book, and then where can they find you on social media and all that good stuff as well? Yeah, so my book is just called Return to Human on Amazon right now. It's just available as an ebook, but I hope, I don't know when this episode will be published, but um, hopefully within the next week or two, my book will be listed as a physical um, paperback. 
and that's going to be awesome. How, uh, what's that experience going to be like for you? Surreal or what? Uh, amazing. Like when I have that book in my hands, it's just going to be, it's going to be nice. I, I, yeah, I'm like, I think I always could add more to it. Like I think yeah. I'm never going to be done, but I just have to force myself to say, all right, uh, I'm going to just do one last, like, like editing of the whole thing. And I just have to, you know, push. Well, you can out. create volumes. Yeah. Yeah. I could create <laughs> more editions. Return to human volume two. Well, no, that's two. awesome, man. Um, yeah. what's, uh, best, uh, your podcast again is live damn well, correct? Podcast is live damn well. You can find me on Instagram at live.damn.well and, uh, and on YouTube, uh, if they don't censor me and on uh, Spotify, <laughs> Apple podcasts. Um, yeah. That's awesome. And then if anybody wants to get a hold of you is the best way just to just message you on Instagram or anything like that. Yeah, that'd definitely be the best way. Uh, you could also go on my website at livedamwell.com and, uh, and reach out to me there. Awesome. Once again, Jorge, thank you so much for being on here, blessing us with your presence as well as your book and everything else that you've done. Um, it really is cool. I can't wait for people to read it. Um, I know Dr. Nash, he said he was just two chapters in and I'm sure he's like me where I'm just like, this guy's got some good freaking stuff, man. <laughs> oh, dude. Thank you. Guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm sure all of our listeners can, can, uh, will have the same, uh, thought process as they read it. So, um, with that guys, you know, where to find us, uh, Dr. Nash, shout out your Instagram real quick. So it's at DC underscore Nash underscore T. There you go. And then you guys can always listen to us on YouTube. We are also at the underscore good underscore fight. Underscore errs. We might need to change that. It's a little bit long. <laughs> it's long-winded to, to say for sure. Yeah. And might then have, uh might have to adopt the, the bullet point format that Jorge the uses. Bullet. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's smart. You can yeah. copy that. <laughs> copy that. <laughs> there we go. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming again, Jorge. We appreciate everything you do. And um we'll till next time. Good fighters. We'll catch you later.